for the first down and still on his feet. RG3 is going to outrace everybody. Roethlisberger looks, crosser, grab, he caught it, fights to the goal line, breaks the plane, touchdown Pittsburgh! That might win them the division! And the handoff to Tomlinson, left side, and he will gallop into the end zone! Charger fans are witnesses to history! And welcome into the Blitz Podcast, I'm your host host today, Mr. Kane Schwartz, and I'm joined by my co-host for the day, and it is Mr. Jaden Kozak, who's been grinding through these power rankings episodes. He's been on every episode. I uh, can't say the same for myself. It's been a little bit of a, uh, a break for me. Uh, we, I did the Saints episode, and then we had the Steelers episode, which you did with Mitch, and then we had the Vikings episode after that, if I'm not. No, yeah, it was no. the Giants and then yeah. the Vikings, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Pete on that episode. So got some uh, got some Blitzpod members and some Blitzpod fans that haven't been on in a while or have not been on before. So that was really cool to do. Uh, but I feel good to be back, man. Um, how you feeling today? You ready to dive into the Detroit Lions at fourteen in our power rankings? Yeah, it feels pretty good to be uh, back doing it. And we've been uh, taking a little bit of a hiatus. I actually moved up to College Park now. That happened yesterday, and that's been part of the taking a break process as we haven't been able to record or get the graphics out. But I don't have anything to do for the next month. My classes don't start till the 28th. I'm going to be going home every now and then to make back the money that I've spent uh, moving everything up here and getting all my new stuff. <laughs> but um, we're going to try and get these out. You won't have to worry about that when this goes big. Dude. Yeah, I true. mean, you won't have to worry. Yeah, I'll never have to work again. So. But uh, as far as we'll try to get them out, I'm going to try and do like two every three days is the plan. Just so we can – because my class starts the 28th. This is a little tedious, and I don't know how much of this I want to be like doing these every day once my class starts and everything. So uh, we'll try to push them out a little bit more frequently. And But, yeah, glad to have you back, man. Yeah, it's good to be back. I mean, not much left in the off season now. I mean, we got training camp officially underway. Uh, and unfortunately, we have some injuries already unfolding, so I hate to see that. Um, but training camp's here. You're seeing all the clips. It's a good time to be a football fan. And honestly, like, the trade deadline just came in baseball, and it's like, I'm even though that just happened, that definitely gave me a little bit of baseball juice, but I'm fully geared towards football season now. So without further ado, let's dive into our 14th-ranked Detroit Lions today. And we start with the position that we start all these with, and that is the quarterback position. And the running back with Jared Goff this year, when this time last year, Jared Goff, we would probably put him as a bottom five quarterback in the National Football League. And there was not a lot of hope there for Jared Goff. Um, A lot of people would have taken the field over Jared Goff and probably saw the Lions do something in the offseason, possibly, if... He didn't have the season that he did last year because he was very good. He was very good to stretch. Uh, he was a top 15 quarterback for sure. He was able to run that system very efficiently, a system in which they don't take a lot of risks. They run the ball down the throats of their opponents, and he was able to run that offense pretty effectively. Uh, so, th- And Jared Goff, this is a guy that, like, Played in a Super Bowl, like, with the Saints way back. Like, he's – or not with the Saints, the Rams. Yeah, my bad. But – um. I mean, he used to be a gunslinging, all like a really high caliber quarterback. I don't know if I would ever put him in the top ten range, but this was a really good quarterback at one time. He's still pretty young. 
So what do you expect out of Jared Goff after having a pretty decent season last year? Yeah, honestly, I feel like I we're going to expect or we're going to see a lot of the same stuff. Uh, a lot of what he does is built around uh, the offense that Ben Johnson brings to the table. Uh, he had a very similar situation in L.A. with Sean McVay where it was kind of just him going out there, going through the motions of the offense with a you know puppet master in Sean McVay and now in Ben Johnson kind of running the show behind the scenes while on the sidelines. Uh, he's got a nice group of playmakers here that we'll talk about in a second, uh, but really it's just going to be how much can he elevate this team? Because this is for the first time in a long time, the Lions have expectations. We had, I believe them at like 23, 24, somewhere around there last year. Now they're in the top half of the league. They're now the highest ranked team in this division. Um, I don't think people are quite talking Super Bowl just because this NFC is so top heavy. And I think that it's Eagles, Cowboys, Niners in the top three. And there's a tear gap down. Tear gap. We'll talk. I know the Cowboys in the training camp videos. I I know. It's that time of year, man. I do think that it's it's at worst Eagles, Niners in their own tier. Cowboys in their own tier and the Lions and the rest. I don't think that the Cowboys are in the same tier as the Lions because I think that on Dak Prescott's bad days, I think he's somewhere where Jared Goff is. Mm, I disagree. Like, okay. Jared Goff can go without making the big mistakes. And he did for a while, and that was a problem. But he showed last year that he can avoid the big mistakes. And Dak seems to love doing that. Like, he loves to make the big mistake. Known previous so. Dak defender. Kane Schwartz yeah. completely switched up on him. But no, switching it, the script. Look, golf is never going to inspire a ton of confidence. For as long as he's the starting quarterback in Detroit, everyone will always be like, well, what if they upgraded? You know, that was the thing, not this past offseason, but the prior offseason and after year one of Jared Goff where he wasn't very good. So it was kind of righteous and, uh, you know, deserved. They were talking about drafting Malik Willis at number two. They were talking about maybe getting a Matt Corral. I never Kenny Pickett never really was in that conversation, but Well Levis was in the Will conversation. Levis was in that conversation were, this yeah. year. Uh Anthony Richardson was in that conversation this year of what if they traded up from six to like three to go get Anthony Richardson and jump the Colts. You're never going to feel overly great about Jared Goff. Uh but look, he's a guy that can win you football games. Now the question is how many football games can he win you in January? How many, you know, can he get you a win in February? That's the real question, and that's like my, my concern with this Lions team. We have him at 17th, so he's right outside of that top half uh, benchmark. They also draft Hendon Hooker. I don't see a future with Hendon Hooker. I don't really I think that there's any world in which he becomes the guy here. I really don't. Wow. Uh, let's say golf plays. I'll make a quick case after you. Got it. Yeah, go ahead. Make your case, and I'll, I'll rebuttal. Okay. Just a quick case on Henry Hooker, because I think he is the clear backup this year. I mean, they've been talking about a redshirt year for Henry Hooker, which you don't hear a lot about uh, when it comes to quarterbacks. But he's coming off the ACL injury, so it makes some sense. I will say, like... When Hendon Hooker was dropping, I mean, he dropped pretty significantly. I mean, there was some mocks that had him going on the day of the draft at the end of the first round, you know. So that's where we were on draft day. And then he fell down boards. And each time the Lions came up, I was like, Hendon Hooker makes perfect sense for this Dan Campbell team. Because a lot of people have talked about Hendon Hooker and his mentality, his leadership, his, like, winningness, like, his – attitude in winning time like he's a dog 
a championship mentality kind of guy. And maybe he doesn't have that same talent, but we know Dan Campbell loves to draft football guys. I mean, he did it with Malcolm Rodriguez last year. We saw all the success he had basically serving as their starting middle linebacker. Um, other guys, like they've, he is a big football guy, and I don't think there's more of a football guy than Hennon Hooker among the quarterbacks in this draft class. So I thought it was a perfect fit. I think there is like some hope for a future for Hennon Hooker in Detroit. He is old. I get all that. He's going to have a redshirt year. He's not going to play this year. But I think it makes perfect sense for him in Detroit. So Jared Goff is under contract through this season and through next season. And they don't really have an out. Like they, it's well, a five they do after in, this year. It's $5 million in dead cap if they cut him after this year, which I guess isn't a lot. You could... You, if things go really poorly here, you could 100% see that happening and so they let him go. But I really don't, with this play calling that they have here in place, I don't see it going poorly. And let's say they do hold on to him for the next two years and Jared Goff leaves the team in 2025. Hedden Hooker is then 27, playing his first starting NFL snaps. And he doesn't even get the benefit of like, okay, I'm coming in as a rookie. I'm going to get some. He's third on the depth chart right now. And he's recovering from a torn ACL. So he he may not he's not getting reps right now. He's probably not going to get reps for a little bit because once we get into the season, they're not trying to play these younger guys as much like in practice. It's the older guys practicing because they're going to be the ones playing in the games. The, you know, if he was 21 when he came out, and even if he had a torn ACL and he was 21 when he came out, I'd hear you. But I'm not a big fan of guys that need the age advantage to win. Like Hennon Hooker... Was a solid nah, quarterback. I would say that more for like a Stetson Bennett kind of guy, but not. Well, Stetson Bennett is his own case where he also yeah. had the age, but he also was playing for Georgia with the best defense maybe college football has ever seen and some fantastic weapons around him as well. But, you know, some of the similar things still apply. But Hendon Hooker, again, 25, did have his breakout year. I mean, he improved year after year, but I just, I don't think that he's all there and if he's not all there right now then I don't know if he will be two years from now even with NFL development I mean you know athletically he's probably about as cap as it's going to get uh at this age and I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of developing done while being a backup or maybe even a third stringer throughout the next year or two that's fair last thing I'll say is that I mean he's not gonna as soon as he gets reps in practice he's going to be the number two on the depth chart. Like he was drafted in the third round to be at least the backup quarterback for this team. So even though it is a redshirt year, I mean, if he's healthy, he will get opportunities. And don't get me he wrong. Will, he will be the two. Don't get me wrong. I think he could be a very, very solid backup quarterback in the NFL. But the main thing that I think, at least for Detroit, is if the Lions move on from Jared Goff after this season specifically, that means that they did not get the quarterback play that they would have hoped and they, you know, fell short of expectations. They're going to go big. They're not going to be like, okay, well, Jared Goff, you've had one good season out of three. You're done. Bring in the third round rookie. Like, or the third round sophomore. Like, I think that if they let go of Jared Goff, it's going to be for an upgrade over Jared Goff. Because if, if Jared or if Hendon Hooker is starting for this team this time next year, we're talking about a team in the very late 20s, maybe even early 30s, or not a team, but a quarterback room in that bottom tier of quarterbacks. And I feel like that's a wasted opportunity for this Lions team, who we'll talk about shortly, has a very good roster surrounding them. Yeah, for sure. 
And with that, let's just go ahead and dive into it as we move on from the quarterback and dive into the playmakers. And you go around this depth chart, and honestly, it's it's pretty impressive, man. You got to start with Amon Ross St. Brown, who has been one of the biggest surprises in the league as of late. Um, he really, how many receivers were drafted above him? I mean, he knows the name of every single video receiver. in here, and he can name every one of them. Yeah, exactly. But that kind of motivation brought him to be probably a top 10 wide receiver in the league now. Uh, so that's great for Detroit. Got a diamond in the rough there. Uh, Jameson Williams, they've still got him. Uh, very early draft pick this time last year or draft time last year, I should say. Uh, but it hasn't turned out too well so far. He didn't play in his first year. He's facing a suspension to start the season this year. Um, so, and apparently he hasn't been looking too great in training camp. So all the arrows are pointing down against Jameson Williams. But there was a time when we thought Jamar Chase wasn't going to catch footballs because there were stripes on it in college and not in the NFL. So that'll tell you something about training camp news. But then you go to Marvin Jones, who we were talking about earlier. If this team is without Jameson Williams for a while, Marvin Jones, even though he was one of the oldest wide receivers in the league, um, he is a deep target for them. Uh, his dots like top 20 in the league. So he is, in fact, a deep target for the Detroit Lions at 33 years old. Uh, is it effective? We'll see. Uh, but they didn't have Jameson Williams too much last year either to prove whether or not it was better with Jamal. But really what you want to talk about here is the running back room. Uh, they signed David Montgomery uh, to start the offseason. It was like, okay, like I feel good. He'll be the starting running back in Detroit after they lost Jamal Williams. Um, we'll see what happens with DeAndre Swift. And then they go ahead and draft Jameer Gibbs, the running back out of Alabama, comps to Alvin Kamara in the first round. Uh, pretty early for him. He went at 12. Uh, so then it was like, what are they going to do with Swift? And then later on in the draft, they did, tra- in fact, trade DeAndre Swift to Philly uh, for some picks in exchange. But now you got David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs rocking this backfield. And Sam Laporta, uh, second round tight end, also coming into this team. So, I mean, all around, this is a really great group of playmakers. We got them ranked 13th. Uh, is that too high or too low for you? See, the thing with this group is it's kind of hard to judge because a lot of people had high expectations for Jamison Williams. And after year one, it was like, okay, well, we knew he was going to have an ACL injury and he'd be back late in the season. And then he didn't do anything when he came back. He had, I think he had a pretty deep touchdown against the Packers, which was cool to see, but very little targets, very little snap share, almost no catches. But a lot of yards per like I think he had a crazy number per catch, something like thirty or forty yards per catch, because he didn't catch the ball too much. But when he did, it was deep down the field, and that was going to be the Jamison Williams mo for a while. But the fact that the snaps were so limited, and I understand that they wanted to preserve their first round pick asset and not you know send him out there get him plucked because he is tiny. Like I know it was an ACL injury that you're worried about, but if he goes and gets crushed, that really hurts the upside of this team long term. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, what can we not say about him at this point? I doubted him. I didn't see the hype, especially fantasy-wise. I was fading him like crazy for a long time. I was just like, I, I don't think this will continue. Uh, he's, if Depending on what you consider Cooper Cup, he's probably the best slot receiver in the NFL uh, at this point in time. He's fantastic. The problem is he doesn't give you anything deep down the field. And I know you said something about Marvin Jones, but even if Marvin Jones, a dot is top 20 in the league, are we? Are, is any team in the NFL like, oh my God, please don't let Marvin Jones beat us deep? 
No. No, of course not. And if Jamison no. Williams is out for the first six weeks with the first third of the season, Josh Reynolds, Khalif Raymond, those guys are giving you not a whole lot deep. The entire deep passing game is going to revolve around Jamison Williams, and they're not going to have that for the first six weeks. So that's why this playmaking group gets dinged a little bit. I think if Jamison Williams was healthy, healthy and he wasn't fighting guys in training camp because he's losing reps, maybe we're talking about a group that's a little I bit closer to the 10. fight. I forgot about yeah, the dude, fight, dude. Not God good. damn, he is struggling not in good. training camp. Um, but this run, that's not like just fake news. Yeah, no, that's like it, he got it to happened. fight at training camp. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I know guys are fighting at training camp. I feel like I see a highlight every day of George Pickens and Joey Porter like throwing something at each other. Like it's literally every day at this point. Um, but tensions are high, and I get that. But you'd really want to hear a lot more good stuff out of Jamison Williams right now, especially with all the bad. Uh, the main highlight here is the running back room, though. It was very weird about how they went from, okay, we have Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift. All right, we lose Jamal Williams, and we go replace him with David Montgomery. We're like, wow, this is still going to be a pretty good running back room. And then they get Jameer Gibbs, and for uh, about 48 hours, it seemed like that was going to be the most messy fantasy running back room we have ever seen in the history of fantasy football. Uh and then they end up trading DeAndre Swift away. But I still think that this offense and Ben Johnson are going to find a lot of creative ways to use Jameer Gibbs. Uh, that's been the talk around Lions training camp really outside of Jamison Williams struggles has been how they're going to use Jameer Gibbs. Are they going to use him as a receiver? Uh, how often is he going to be used? As a guy who invested some serious draft capital uh, dynasty-wise into Jameer Gibbs, I... I'm a little worried about how much he's going to be touching the ball on runs. I think that he may only run the ball six, seven, eight times a game. Now, there is also a world where he gets six, seven, eight targets a game, and that is legitimately valuable. Uh, And there's also a world where he wins this starting job far and away by the end of the season, and it's just David Montgomery is just a really bad contract. Um, But like you mentioned, Kamara for Jameer Gibbs, I see like a souped-up Raheem Mostert type player, like a little bit blended with Alvin Kamara because he can, he can catch the ball out of the backfield uh, as well. And he is really if fast. If they drafted a suit really up Raheem Mostert at 12, they have issues, man. He is, but like Kamara isn't like long speed. Like Jameer Gibbs, once he gets going, like I saw it and maybe it is just the Alabama jersey, but the way that he strides, it does slightly remind me of Derrick Henry. Now, they are completely different size-wise, but like the way, the how strong he looks when he's running, especially, and I know it's easy to look strong running when you're running in open field and nobody's hitting you, but like he just takes those big, strong strides and it just, yeah, it just gives me, it just gives me a little bit of Derrick Henry vibes, but I think he's going to be really fun, especially for fantasy managers, especially if he can win this starting job. Uh, you know how I feel about Bijan, but I feel really good about Jameer Gibbs as well. Uh, then this tight end room after trading away TJ Hawkinson uh, about midseason, you can't really call it a loss or a departure because they had already lost Hawkinson at that point. Uh, they needed to draft the tight end. That was like one of the main things that needed to happen. They go get Sam Laporta. I think he's fine. Like he's not going to have an impact year one as a rookie tight end. They usually don't. Uh, I disagree. I flat out disagree, bro. Like really? everything out of out of camp and every report out of Detroit is the end. Of course, it has something to do with me having a stock of Laporta in a dynasty league, maybe or maybe not. Uh, but he is getting all the first team reps. He's getting like he is going to be tight end one. He's going to get opportunity. I mean, you saw how much they use TJ Hawkinson. He comes from that Iowa tight end tree, so they feel comfortable there. And you just got to like 
you just got to take it where they took him. Like, Laporta, they took Laporta over guys like Michael Mayer. Uh, there was a couple of other, like Luke Musgrave was still available. Uh, there was a couple of guys that were probably drafted, should have been drafted ahead of Laporta, but the Lions loved him. And that means that they're going to attempt to use him a lot in year one because of where they drafted him. And I think the same thing for uh, Jameer Gibbs. Like, uh, like I mentioned that they stretched for Jameer Gibbs, but the fact that they traded for him, they traded up for him at 12 to get him and to see how excited that draft room was when they took Gibbs. I mean, that was their plan the whole time. I remember hanging on for the longest to what they said in Hard Knocks about Swift. They were like, dude, we could make you an 1,000-yard receiver and a 1,000-yard rusher in the same season. And I was like, oh, my God, that would be awesome. Uh, But that never happened with Swift, and I think they'll take those plans and just transfer them over, copy-paste to Jameer Gibbs. But, um, or they continue to lie about what they're going to do with the running backs and their excitement about the running backs. Could, On TV. Could also be, yeah. could also be a possibility. Um, but with Laporta, like, I have a little bit of concerns for him. He's a good athlete. He's great after the catch, but he doesn't really win at the catch point. His routes are kind of shitty. Um, and I just – they didn't – after they stopped using – or after Hawkinson left – and you don't have a top four or five tight end anymore, they stopped using their tight ends because they didn't have a top five tight end. I feel like it was more of a, we have this player, so let's scheme him up more than a, we like to use this position a lot, and we just happen to have a really good player at it. I mean, we saw TJ Hawkinson blew up in value once he went to Minnesota, and he was getting targeted even more than he was in Detroit. So like rookie tight ends always struggle. Uh, I'm fading. I'd be fading mm-hmm. Kincaid. I'm fading Michael Mayer. Um I just I don't feel great about him. Uh, I wasn't as big on the port. I think I had him as my fourth tight end, maybe fifth behind Darnell Washington. Obviously, didn't know the health concerns, but regardless of that, even if Sam Laporta isn't an impact in year one, this is still a phenomenal playmaking group. It's just there's so many questions about how this player is going to be used and what these guys are going to bring to the table. I mean, we're just, just Jameer Gibbs and Jamison Williams alone. Like that's one of the biggest buzz points of this offseason throughout the entire NFL is what's going to happen with these two guys uh, and really what it means for this Lions offense as a whole. Yeah, for sure. And last thing I'll say on the playmakers, then we'll move on. I mean, Jamison Williams, when he was at Alabama at his peak before he got injured, I mean, it was clear that this guy was going to be special in the league. You know, and a lot has happened since then. Uh, a lot has happened since then. Uh, gambling, injuries, suspensions, fights, you name it. Uh, but it's still early on in his career. I mean, how old is he? He's got to be 23, 22, something like that. Yeah, so it's like he's still got a lot of career to go for a wide receiver. And when he was healthy, he was an elite talent at Alabama. So I think he could still do great things in the league, but it is yet to be seen. Uh, let's move on from the playmakers and start to dive into this offensive line. And damn, we've got them ranked high. They are our second highest ranked offensive line in total. Uh, we got Taylor Decker at the tackle position. Uh, Frank Ragnow has developed into one of the better centers in the league. Uh, Penny Sewell has been a fantastic pick for Detroit ever since they drafted him in the first round. Uh, revitalized that offensive line at tackle. Um, but who are you excited to talk about on this list, man? Yeah, I mean, this is our highest ranked group of anything, I believe, at this point with the with the second ranked. We've had a couple in the top three or we had 
Uh, New England in the top three for coaching, but we've had nobody else in the top three until now. We have Detroit. Uh, quite simply, this is one of the best units in the NFL. You know, you have a one of the two best centers in the NFL. I think Creed Humphrey might be knocking on that door uh, to take Frank Ragnow's spot as the best center in the NFL. You have one of the best right tackles in the NFL, especially now with Tristan Wirfs moving over to right. Uh, Penny Sewell is right up there, especially if he can continue to develop his pass blocking. His run blocking is you know, some of the best in the league. If he can continue to develop his pass protection, he's going to be a legit franchise cornerstone for them. And, you know, they've got got quite a few at this point now, but uh, definitely the uh, key building block on this offensive line. Taylor Decker is your definition of an above average starting left tackle. Uh, gets the job done, especially when you have these teams that have a really good right tackle. Very rarely do you see them have a good left tackle for whatever reason, because, you know, with left tackle being the more valuable spot you would think they just moved the guy over to the left but that's neither here nor there um your weak points here are your guard spots and they're not really weak points because jonah jackson and how vitai is still you know i said top half maybe not that high but i think they're at least top 20 like there are a lot of teams with really bad guards in the nfl a lot of teams would be you know doing a lot of things to get a hold of jonah jackson or how vitai and how Vitae is coming back from injury. I believe he got injured towards the end of last season. Uh, and they do have Graham Glasgow here as well, who spent some time in Detroit. I believe he went to Denver, I want to say. Uh, and then now he's back here in Detroit. Uh, probably going to be in a backup role unless things don't go well uh, at right guard. And then he can fill in there. But, I mean, I think he's one of the two or three best bench linemen in the NFL, the guys that are just kind of sixth men, you know, usually your sixth man is a tackle, but they've got him here at guard. And I think that's more of a contingency plan for Hal Vitae. But regardless, even if I think you're going to get solid play out of one of those two guys, and as long as you can do that, this is going to be the strength of this team and really the strength of this offense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is our highest ranked line since the Falcons and very much like the Falcons, they like to run the ball into the ground. I mean, when they signed, when they had Swift, Gibbs and Montgomery at one time, I was like, this team's going to throw the ball eight or nine times a game and just completely run over opponent. It's going to be Navy football in the National Football League. Uh, but I mean, I think it could, even though they don't have Swift anymore, I think it could be very similar to that this season. Maybe, I mean, Jared Goff did a lot of that last season where he threw like 15, 20 times a game and they just ran the ball down team's throats. And a lot of it would, can be contributed to this offensive line for sure. So let's move on uh, to the front seven for this Detroit Lions. And we have them ranked 19th out of 32 teams. Uh, Got to start with Aiden Hutchinson, uh, the very high draft pick last year. There was debates, like we were talking about earlier, that maybe Malik Willis ends up being that pick. But I think Detroit's pretty glad that Aiden Hutchinson ended up coming to Detroit with that pick. He had a great rookie season, and he looks to be one of the better pass rushers in the league coming off the edge. Um, they've still got, like, their linebacker core, I definitely think, is underrated for sure. They've got Anzalone. Uh, the, maybe possibly the next Clay Matthews, uh, just because of the hair, of course. Because we were talking about, remember when we were talking about where would Clay Matthews be in the legacy discussion without hair? Yeah, I think that was an off-air conversation. Yeah, it, it was uh, It was that night where we went over everybody's Hall of Fame case. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was one on But Hare brings a lot to the legacy of a player. And Anzalone's been pretty good for Detroit uh, a couple past years. Uh, they brought in Jack Campbell in the draft, which was pretty huge for them. Uh, another classic Dan Campbell pick, in my opinion. I mean, he won the what's the linebacker award for best college linebacker? Because I, I, I think f- it was Buckus. Yeah. Yeah. It's Buckus. I'm yeah. Buckus. Yeah. Um, but he won the Buckus award in college. He's a all football guy and he was great in college at Iowa. So great pickup for them on the linebacker core. They needed some improvement there and they've still got Malcolm Rodriguez there who was a fifth or sixth round pick last year. And I've always been a huge fan of Malcolm Rodriguez. I think he falls in the same lines of Jack Campbell, not as talented, but huge football guy, leader of the team sort of deal. And I think he'll be involved in a lot of defensive formations this year. Um, but who uh, who do you think steps out on this uh, Detroit Lions defense? Look, I really like Jack Campbell. Like, I think there is a world in which he is a top 10 linebacker within the next two years, as hard as that is to do in the NFL nowadays. He is your classic, prototypical linebacker. The thing is, he took the guy at 18. And we'll, I'm sure, at some point throughout this episode... They had some very questionable draft strategies this year. They took a running back at 12, which is like cardinal sin nowadays. And then you take the the running back of the defense uh, in a linebacker at 18 when, you know, they walk into this draft with 6 and 18. You know, they don't have a franchise quarterback or probably. Um, and there was a lot of opportunity for the Lions to get better, like a lot better. They could have drafted a corner and an edge. They could have drafted a quarterback and a corner or something, something, some combination of very valuable positions on this team. And they take the two least valuable, and we already talked about the running backs, but Jack Campbell, I just don't know if in this league, like 20 years ago, I think Jack Campbell is one of the two or three best linebackers in the NFL. Like if he hits his ceiling today, that guy is probably one of the best linebackers in the NFL. But the way you have to run – and pass cover and chase posts and stuff like that. I don't know if he can do that. I think he's going to be just a really good all-around linebacker. Um, if that's worth the, worth a number 18 overall pick is remain to be seen. Uh, I can't see that happening. Regardless, I still think you know him and Anzalone. It's going to be a solid group. I don't. I think it's pretty in the middle in the NFL, in my opinion, uh, especially for year one with Jack Campbell. Like I don't think that there's a world in which he's going to come in and be a great linebacker day one. He's much better. He's a much better run defender than he is a coverage player. Anzalone's kind of down the middle in both. I don't think the linebacker core is a weakness of this team. It's not a weak. It's not a weakness for sure, but it's, I wouldn't call it a strength. And that's the main problem with the defense as a whole. Uh, There isn't a strength on this defense at this point in time. I think you have one strength and it is Aiden Hutchinson on the edge in that spot. Uh, he was phenomenal in year one. I think in most years he wins defensive rookie of the year. He was uh, fortunately uh, covered up by Sauce Gardner, who was covering up everything last year. Um, who also, I think, uh, I mean, come on, I'm here. I'll be here all week. Um, Hutchinson had, I think he had like an 85 coverage grade for like, I don't know how many snaps that was of him dropping back into coverage. He shouldn't be dropping back into coverage, but when he did, it worked out very well for him. Uh, the main concern for versatile. me, versatile, yes, that is that was the word. Um, yes, is this front three really? Um, I even think James Houston on the other side of the edge. You know, he is a pass rushing specialist through and through. Not going to give you a whole lot in run defense, but he is you know one of not one of the better pass rushers, but 
as far as like he's your typical can really only rush the passer kind of picks and chooses when he wants to run defend but this front three it's concerning and they've invested some resources into this group uh you got john kaminsky here is a below average starter i watched isaiah bucks in pittsburgh for few years never saw anything special from him ali mcneil is probably your best player here but even still like that's not something that i'd be too uh excited about uh which leads you to 19 here there's just a lot of front sevens that have more than one or two solid starters um i think detroit could definitely be better you know if aiden hutchinson ascends into being a top tier pass rusher and jack campbell becomes you know, a top tier linebacker in year one. Maybe we're talking about this group a lot better, but right now I'm pretty bearish uh, on the front seven. Yeah, and I think a lot of the same goes for the other component of the defense, which is this secondary, uh, which we've even got ranked a little lower uh, than the front seven at 21. And honestly, what's coming off the off the page to me? I mean, they did bring in Chauncey Gardner Johnson in the off season. Uh, which was nice for them, for sure. Uh, they did get rid of Jeff Okuda, who, I mean, Jeff Okuda was a top 10 pick not too long ago, you know? And I get it. There is a lot of, like, oh, hanging on to, like, first-round capital and being like, oh, we did draft him in the first round. Like, let's kick the can down the road and see if he turns out. Um, maybe it's good that they got rid of Jeff Okuda when they did, but... That definitely weakens the secondary for sure. Uh, they bought Cam Sutton over from uh, motherfucking Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, so you got to love that. But not anything super impressive, man. And, like, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, like, this isn't even – he's a name and he, like, causes debate. But uh, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I've realized just looking at this now, seeing Emmanuel Mosley in large gray font, that he is not a rookie and that I did not uh, correctly put the rookies for the front seven or the secondary. So that's awesome. But, and the episode's been out for about two hours now, so it's a little late to delete and repost. So uh, for those of you that watch, you'll know. And as Kane does the swipe across. Sticks, sticks between us. Yeah, of course. Definitely just between us. Um <laughs> I honestly think we should be a little bit higher on this group, but, you know, doing a little bit more research here, I th- you don't have a superstar. I think if you pick out one, it's Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and, you know, maybe yep. independent of that Philly defense, he's not as good. But you have five solid starters here. I think Emmanuel Mosley and Cameron Sutton were great pickups for this offseason. Uh, you get a pair of starting perimeter corners in an offseason. You know, they're not going to be anything super special, but they're probably not going to hurt you a lot. Um Either you got Chauncey Gardner Johnson, who's probably going to play like that hybrid slot role where he plays down in the nickel as a slot corner, sometimes comes back at safety. Uh, I think he's going to play much more slot corner because you have a pair of competent safeties here in Tracy Walker and Kirby Joseph. Uh, you know, Mitchell does a lot of the write ups. He had Brian Branch here as a breakout candidate at first. And I like Brian Branch. You know, I wanted the Steelers to go grab Brian Branch. I think he's a phenomenal player. Uh, there were a couple people that had him as a top 10 player in this draft, obviously independent of position. Uh, I just don't think he's going to get on the field a whole lot. Like that's my primary concern is, you know, you have two safeties and a slot corner. Like that's, if he goes to any other team, that's the role that he's going to play. But he just doesn't really fit here right now. Chauncey Gardner Johnson is on a one-year deal. So maybe Brian Branch is the contingency plan for him. But as of right now, I don't see him breaking out. So I did see Kirby Joseph. You know, he had 
some lumps. He had something like six or seven games of like 85 or higher tackling grades. Uh, He did kind of slump a little bit towards the end of the season, but did have two picks in that that, uh, finale in Green Bay. So I think that he could take a big step here in year two. That's why we have him as a breakout candidate. But I think this group should definitely be closer to the middle than it is. And I, I feel much more confident in the secondary, uh, even after last year. But they've you know they've completely overhauled this group. And I think that they are probably higher than the front seven, at least in my mind. Yeah, and they managed to grab the last guy in the green room uh, in the draft. And that was, uh, why am I forgetting his name? Yeah, Brian Ranch, uh, corner out of Alabama. And, I mean, that adds to the secondary for sure. And he could be starting by the end of the year. So, you have a first-round corner. You have Charlie Gardner-Johnson. You have that safety duo. So, maybe you could do something with the secondary this year. So, remains to be seen. Uh, but let's dive in or let's transition from the players and dive into this coaching staff. And let's talk about Dan Campbell, man. Mr. Football, MCDC. And we've got them ranked at 10th overall as the coaching staff. And, I mean, I'll vote. how can you not be a fan of Tan Campbell at this point, man? I mean, he's probably been one of the most fun head coaches we've had in recent years for sure. Uh, got Ben Johnson in the OC position, Aaron Glenn in the DC position. This is a staff full with former players, which I also love, which they highlighted on uh Hard knock so much is their uh, former player staff, which I think makes everybody feel more comfortable. Like it's not just some dude who's never played it down in his life telling you what to do. Like these are guys who've been in the same shoes as you. So I feel like there's a lot more respect, and you saw that a lot last year. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of this coaching staff. I think maybe they should even be a little higher. Uh, Dan Campbell hasn't proven too much yet, um, but he had a great season last year and he looks to carry upon it this year what do you think of uh, mr mcdc now yeah i think i think 10 is pretty adequate uh i think like we talked about it with the packers a little bit of like this like 16 to 10 i'm obviously i can't see who's or i can but i'm not going to um of like who's in the same tier but like i think matt lafleur who's at six you know the green bay packers are at 16 and dan campbell at 10 as a head coach i really think that they're kind of the same like not the same but in a similar tier and the reason why Matt LaFleur and the Packers staff is at the bottom of that tier and Dan Campbell and that staff is at the top is Ben Johnson. You know, he put together one of the best offenses in the NFL last season with a quarterback that we had ranked 17th. He had an offense that ranked fourth. That very seldom <sighs> happens anymore. The only time that we really see that happen is in San Francisco with over the past few years with Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan, who we consistently have in the top in the upper echelon of coaches in the NFL. And the fact that he didn't at least interview or take the head coaching jobs that he was being interviewed for or even maybe being offered blows my mind because of how things can change as quickly as they can in this league. And when you get a head coaching offer as an offensive coordinator, I feel like nine times out of 10, you need to take it because if this upcoming, I mean, we saw that with Eric Bieniemy, uh, where he went from one year, like he was the hottest name in coaching. And he goes, ends up going back to the Chiefs for you know whatever reason. The the offers weren't that hot. Now he's in. Now he took a made a lateral move over to Washington to be an offensive coordinator there. If things don't go well here in Detroit, and Jared Goff falters a little bit, which is a real possibility. You know we have him at 17th for a reason. 
I don't know if Ben Johnson's getting those same calls next year, and he's at least not getting as many calls next year. So I think that was a little bit of a strange move by him. Go ahead. I think I think it speaks to how comfortable everybody is serving under Dan Campbell. Like I think it's like you're not going to be able to get this kind of vibe, this kind of coaching, this kind of like culture somewhere else. You know, Create so your it's own like culture. you screw it. Coach. Yeah, but like I think Dan Please Campbell is the culture guy. Like I don't think Ben Johnson is a big culture guy. Oh no, I don't. Guy. But I think that if Ben Johnson wasn't here, because I think as of right this second, I think he's the best offensive coordinator, like solely offensive coordinator, especially one that calls plays. I think he's the best in the NFL right now. Like you could, like there are people and myself included that believe he's one of the ten best offensive play callers in the NFL, and. In the league that we're in, where offensive play callers get head coaching jobs over defensive coordinators like 70% of the time, those guys all have head coaching jobs, and Ben Johnson doesn't. And I understand that, you know, if you think you've got something special here in Detroit and you want to stand under Dan Campbell with that culture, that's fine. But if that opportunity doesn't arise next year and you just, you're an offensive coordinator forever, it's going to kind of suck, you know. This is, again, this is an offensive driven league where the top offensive coordinators, are going to be prioritized. And when you're coming off of a good season like that, we saw that also with Kellen Moore is another good example where he was with Dallas. He was getting head coaching offers. Uh, He didn't take any of them because he wanted to opt to stay in Dallas. And now he's the offensive coordinator in LA. And, you know, that's just kind of how quick the league works. Um, Real quickly, quickly, uh, Aaron Glenn was like, on the precipice of entering that tier of like, okay, maybe next year this guy could get a, you know, a head coaching job somewhere. And then the defense fell off a cliff, you know, whether that be his fault or not, he got a couple of positional or not. He got, but a couple of position coaches on the defense got fired. Uh, He ends up holding his job for one more year. I feel like this is 100% a make or break year for Aaron Glenn, especially with all of the stuff that they added to the secondary, which is where he worked his way up through. He was obviously a corner in the league for many years. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call him a strength, but he's definitely not a weakness. Uh, and Dan Campbell, you know, we've talked about the culture here. This is one of, he flipped one of the worst cultures in the NFL with, you know, Detroit, Matt, Patricia, the lions were not in a good state before Dan Campbell got here, walked in, did the press conference about biting kneecaps. And it's been nothing but positive things to say about Dan Campbell ever since. And I give him the utmost credit for that. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, like, the difference between LaFleur and, like, a Dan Campbell. Like, I know the stat, like, Ben McDonald definitely is a reason why. But I think another reason why is it's just, like, you like Dan Campbell as a person better than you do a LaFleur. So I think that that goes a long way as a coach, and I think that's appropriate, and it's reflected in our rankings. So let's go MCDC. Looking forward to what they do this year. And it's shaping up to look like a pretty – Nice schedule. I mean, their rank is 20th uh, as far as strength of schedule goes. If we're doing the color test here, I don't think it's too colorful. I don't think it's the most frightening thing that we've seen yet. It's really, um, and I mean, the the Chiefs Seahawks back to back weeks. That's frightening. Yeah. Not only because their yeah. colors are colorful, but because the Chiefs and Seahawks are two pretty good teams that we haven't revealed yet, mind you. Uh, but down low, I mean, Denver. Minnesota, Dallas, Minnesota again. Those are dark colors, yep. man. That's those. Yep. That's four wins. <laughs> exactly, dude. Like the Bears, like that yellow or that orangish. Like it's not it's even not like a bright, bright orange. orange. Yeah, exactly. So you're not running. 
Like right, exactly. I love how we do this, by the way. Uh, but yeah, their uh, their schedule shaping up to look pretty easy this year. They're over under on the win total is nine and a half. Uh, what was Minnesota? So I'm curious. I want to say I'm pretty sure it was eight and a half. Fairly okay. Long. All right. Uh, so I mean this this NFC North among maybe like one or two divisions. I think it's probably the most wide open division in football. And I think anybody could go ahead and take this division. But when you talk like like, I think it's a 50-50 against Minnesota. Like, they probably win one, lose one. Um, God, that's a really tough start to the year, to be honest. Yeah, like, Chiefs, Seahawks, and then Falcons could beat you if you're 0-2 and you're just down. You could be 0-3. I don't, if you're, I don't know how this is the 20th strength of schedule in the NFL. Like, yeah. this is kind of you, – you open with KC in Seattle. Then you have – a, like a four-week stretch where I feel like Detroit's favored in every single one of those games. Maybe in Green Bay, it's like a minus two uh, towards Green Bay. Um, but then you get Baltimore, then you get the Raiders in a bye, uh, and then the Chargers. Bear, you get the Bears twice. I think that definitely knocks the win percentage down a little bit, so that uh, helps keep this number low. Uh, and then you finish the season with Minnesota twice. Uh, I'd imagine Minnesota is still in it for the division at this point. They're not going to be sitting their guys and Dallas, who's probably going to be, you know, in all likelihood fighting for a wild card spot of some kind. This is a tougher schedule than it seems. Um, and I think that a lot of this, you know, the Lions finished the season very strong. They got, they knocked Green Bay out of the playoffs, which was like the big brother for a while. Aaron Rodgers is going out of the division. It was on Sunday Night Football. Everybody got to watch it. Jamal Williams cried during the postgame interview. A lot of people were high on the Lions heading out of the season. They're like, wow, okay, they've got two first-round picks that they can use. Um, they've got Jamison Williams, who was a first-round pick the year before, so they're really getting three first-round picks here. And then Jamison Williams is suspended for six games, and he's not looking great in training camp. And then they use the picks on a running back and a linebacker. And people were just kind of like, oh, yeah, but they still had it. And, like, the hype's still there. And I think we kind of forgot that, like, you know, they need to fulfill this. I talked about this with Chicago, how they had the most cap space. And then they had so much hype because of how Fields was playing. And we kind of forgot about the fact they really misused that cap space. And we're still hyping them up. I think the, I think the hype may have gone a little bit too far on Detroit. I'm going under. Uh I talked about it in the last episode. I still think that Minnesota is would be my favorite to win this division. Um, just because I don't know how much I trust this team. I like this secondary probably not the most of any group on this team, but like as far as far away from consensus, I think this secondary is going to be a lot better, which is like if you believe in the secondary, if you believe in the Lions, it's because you think the secondary is going to get better. They were last in coverage grade last year. They completely overhauled this unit. Like that's your saving grace but i just i think i don't know i've just got a weird gut feeling maybe it's the fact that it's detroit maybe it's jared Goff. i don't know what it is but i don't think this is gonna be a disaster but i don't think they clear i don't think they get the 10 i mean nine and a half is definitely a high win total my first instinct was to go under uh but if they're gonna make like i think they're gonna make the playoffs i think they are the favorite in this division like i do really like minnesota this year especially after watching the quarterback documentary with kirk uh, but I think that defense is really done. Like well, I think, it, like, if it, it, if they didn't get the Neil Hunter back, they'd be yeah. it would be one of the worst defenses on paper in the NFL, if not the worst. 
I think. And then they just like plug in. Like it's not like a bunch of guys that came up like they drafted in Minnesota and learned through the system. And it's like it's not a bunch of. It's a bunch of like I feel like it's a bunch of one year deals like thrown all over the place. And it's like that's not a formula for Kinda success like on Detroit's. defense. No, nah, at least the secondary. I think a lot of these guys. The okay, that's fair. But I think a lot of these guys have come up with Detroit and have learned the system in Detroit. So it's not just like a bunch of like patches that you're placing on the defense. Like these are guys that you're trying to grow. And I have a lot more faith in defense like that than Minnesota's defense. So I'll take Detroit for the division. And if they're going to make the playoffs, if they're going to win this division, they're going to have to win 10 games. And I think looking at the schedule, they can do it. Not too colorful. I think it's not colorful enough that they could go ahead and win 10 games. So that's what we're rocking. That's how I feel about Detroit's outlook for this year. Uh, so let's uh, start to wrap it up, shall we, as we dive into the ranking slide. Overall, as we mentioned, we've got them at 14 uh, as the Blitz Pod consensus. On the offensive side, we've got their offense ranked 13th. Uh, on the defense, we've got them ranked 20th. And their championship window doesn't look too bad, man. It's opening one year away. How would you go ahead and elaborate on that? Man? Yeah, this is the first. Uh, I think we had a. I think we may have had one that was like not quite yet, where I was just trying to get a little cute with the verbiage. But uh, this is our first non-closed championship window. Technically, opening is still closed-ish, but I'm not ready to say that they're going to win a Super Bowl this year because I, you know, I alluded to it a little bit in the analysis Me neither. there are a lot of questions still you know with all the hype and all the good stuff that they've got going on there are a lot of legitimate questions i think jamison williams and you know I, like i said earlier the entire deep passing game relies on jamison williams if they don't have jamison williams playing at you know if they're not going to have him playing for the first six weeks if he's not playing well after that they can't spread the ball down the field and that's a legitimate problem in the nfl today um does this defense have enough to you know win you four games in the playoffs? Like, can you rely on them to not give up a thirty-point game to a Philadelphia or something like that, where this offense is constantly playing from behind? And then at quarterback, you know, can the rest of this roster push Jared Goff there? You know, this is a guy who has been to a Super Bowl, but with a absolutely stacked roster around him, you know, I think people. It is kind of weird that the Rams went to the Super Bowl and like twice in four years but no people like that kind of gets forgotten a lot uh, but exactly and Jared Goff was the guy to lead him there man he was throwing well, dots to Robert Woods and Cooper Cup when they were still in those ugly Rams you know man everybody forgets yeah Todd, Todd Gurley was there, a guy in my opinion he was a guy if Todd Gurley was wasn't there that's a that's a first round exit team it would be a train wreck yes, yes. okay um, but that de- and that and then obviously that Rams defense was phenomenal that was they still had Ramsey and they had uh wait did no they didn't have Ramsey Mm-mm. No, that was pre-Ramsey. They had, and, uh, they had Peters then. They, had, they definitely yes, yes dude. Yeah. They had Peters, nice and then I want to say it was like Swearinger on the other side. Or and something. they still had John Johnson. Obviously, Aaron Donald, Robert Quinn was still like a legit factor at that point in time uh, as well. Yeah. Just remnant. Ooh, Corey there's Littleton at linebacker. Remnant. Yeah, there's one more team. guy, and I'm forget. Oh God, who's a good Ram? Like, it's another Rams guy that played with, like, the, the old jerseys. God. Some of those old jerseys Rams players. Sam Bradford. Okay. Uh, Steven Jackson. Uh, it's just, okay, we're off the rails. Uh, okay. Tory Holt. 
Kurt Warner. Um, <laughs> Marshall Falk, best show on turf. This is not the best show on turf. This is not even the Rams. This is the Detroit Lions. Um, yes, but precisely. That, the question is, you know, can the rest of this offense push Jared Goff to a Super Bowl? He's not an elite quarterback. You know, we've said that a lot this episode. And that's a legit concern because there's not too many teams that don't have elite quarterbacks to make it to the Super Bowl. Like Jimmy Garoppolo made it a few years ago. Jared Goff made it a year or two before that. Outside of that, man, it's probably since Joe Flacco. You know, I mean, say what you want about maybe Matt Ryan not being elite. Um, but it was really like elite quarterbacks only in the Super Bowl, as it should be, because this is a quarterback-driven league. And when you don't have a guy that's at least in the top 12, and you know, at least in the top half, you got to do almost everything else perfect. Yeah, Nick Foles. Carson Wentz was an elite quarterback to get them yeah. there, but then Nick Foles in the playoffs is one of the three base best football players of all time, apparently. There's um, an asterisk there. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's just a lot of questions. And that's why I have it as opening and not open. I don't know when we'll get our first open team. Uh, and the, the one year away thing is a little weird because like Minnesota, I had a couple like thoughts about was like, I don't think they'll win it this year, but the problem is I don't see any way that they get better throughout the next few years unless right. they really hit on a draft pick. I think Detroit has avenues to get better. They got a lot of young guys here. Um, and I think that, like I said, if it doesn't work with Jared Goff this year, I think they go big. I think they talk to the Cardinals about a Kyler Murray. If they're in that like weird draft situation where the Cardinals are picking at one or two and they have a chance to draft the quarterback and they trade away Kyler, I think they definitely first team. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, They definitely make that call. Um, but as of right now, it's just kind of weird for me. To, to put a to put a definitive timeline on the Detroit Lions. Uh, the offense ranks 13th. Again, you know, you have the second ranked O-line. We have an offensive coordinator that is probably number one as far as just solely coordinators go, is definitely a top 10 play caller. You have a great group of weapons here, and if they can figure out how all those pieces fit in, how Gibbs fits in, how Jamison Williams fits in, if they can figure that part out, we could definitely see a top 10 offense out of Detroit this year. And a lot of that is because this defense ranks 20th. Uh, it was a lot lower last year, and I think that even propped their offense even more. But it's improved. The coverage on the back end is going to be so much better, in my opinion. I think this is one of the most slept-on groups in the NFL. I think you're going to get elite play out of at least one of those guys. Like, I really do think that one of them takes a step. Um, and you've got a lot – like, not a lot of teams have five, and if you are including Brian Branch, not a lot of teams have six starting-level defensive backs like that's just not something that a lot of teams have and credit to Detroit for going to make that happen so I think 14th is a very fair ranking for Detroit for sure and last thing I'll say is that like Jared Goff ran a very I mean it's not Sean McVay but the offense looks sort of kind of similar you know like really good receivers on the outside uh you've got maybe not a Todd Gurley in his prime but like you've got a Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery combo maybe he could be maybe he could be a Todd Gurley in his prime Exactly. So, like, it could set up pretty nice for Jared Goff to be successful. I mean, he could be this guy's franchise quarterback, you know, but it remains to be seen. I think this is a team that could make it to the NFC Championship this year, possibly. Um, and, I mean, there are, there are people who have them winning the entire NFC, so that's not crazy to say. So, Most like, people are crazy, but... Yeah. I think they could like their their best outcome this year is making it to the NFC Championship, losing and then building upon that. Yeah, and then building upon that success next year. Mm. So we'll see how it goes for Detroit. 
Uh, but that wraps us up for today's episode. Can't wait to roll through the last 13 teams that we've got, uh, but having a lot of fun going through it and looking forward to coming to a conclusion here soon. But we will catch you later. Peace.